host, Lindsay Rowland. Today we have another favorite guest, uh, Mr. James Hutton. Mr. James Hutton is a former presidential appointee serving as Assistant Secretary for Public and Intergovernment Affairs, Department of Veterans Affairs, former job, and he's here to speak with us today on the Marine Corps' publicity and public affairs campaign against our hero. Welcome, James. Good morning, Lindsay. How are you? Good. I'm just going to let you take it because you know how we do our podcast, so I'll let you start. Yeah, I'll add some more to the bio just a little bit in that so for 27 years, I was an Army officer and retired as a colonel. And for a big portion of that, I was a public affairs officer. And notably, in the later parts of my career, more senior positions, I worked for General Odierno, as, who, as you know, passed away just a few days ago. I worked for him directly for three years, and quite, yeah. an, honor, quite an honor that was. Um, and, and then, and then, you know, later on moved to see more senior positions at VA as a civilian employee and then a presidential appointee, as you pointed out. Um, so, but let me just throw out a disclaimer. I heard your podcast from before with two former Marines and, um, like the lawyers, I'm not a lawyer, but, uh, I have to say right up front, I don't represent Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. He and I have never spoken, and I'm not speaking on his behalf. I understand he is under a gag order, and um, let's make it clear, he and I have never said a word to each other. So um, uh, all the words that I'm going to say from now on are um, my opinion, my view. Sure, sure. Uh, and But as a public affairs officer, it, you know, it, in, in the inter-service rivalries we have, I was an Army officer, and, and the Marines, we, we kind of used to say that the Marines don't do public affairs, they do publicity. And for a lot of that, that's a, there's, there's a very good reason for it. The Marines have nearly gone out of existence a couple of times in their history, and publicity and, and, and trumpeting the successes of the Marine Corps has been very important to keeping the Marine Corps alive, and that's been ultimately extremely important to the nation you know the history of the marine corps fighting for the nation is rich and deep and you know we can look to world war ii in the pacific and the islands they took and in in iraq the marines did a great job in the western part of of iraq so i i have nothing but full respect for the marine corps um but in the handling of lieutenant colonel scheller Wait, uh, real quick. Point du Hoc is another one, right? Point du Hoc was Army guys at, in. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. Sometimes I get them confused because remember I'm Army, so I always think yeah. But Point du Hoc was a cool battle, though. I was I was there. <laughs> but that was in the European theater of operations, and the, the Marines weren't Correct. there. But you know, when you hear the song from the halls of Montezuma to the shores of Tripoli, um, you know it should make everyone's uh, skin tingle because you know. Tens of thousands of Marines have fought and died, and uh, and they've also raised an officer corps that is is dependent on integrity and dependent on leaders who take responsibility. So, when I heard Lieutenant Colonel Scheller and I watched his his video, I understood, and I think he understood at that very moment that his life was going to change because um, criticizing your senior leaders is not something we do publicly normally. Um, but <clears throat> we shouldn't also at the same time fail to understand 
what he was saying and the 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 background of what he was saying and that was leadership should be held accountable let's 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 be clear that in the operations in Afghanistan we had loss of marine corps lives uh, a soldier a sailor and then later we had a shoot uh, a, a rocket missile attack on um, 10 civilians who turned out to be innocent civilians, seven of them children. And we can't see anything in the way of fixing accountability. Now, accountability doesn't mean that someone should be brought to court martial necessarily and, and, and hung out to dry. Yeah, that's not what I think even he meant. It's, it's that we didn't really acknowledge too much that anything actually was done incorrectly. And that started from the top, from the president on down. And, and you know, lest anyone think I, I'm putting myself in jeopardy, I am not. I'm a retired officer. I can say what I want and, and when I want and where I want. And so that, that's been my opinion, that it started at the top. And then we very clearly saw a president lie to the nation when he said nobody, nobody disagreed with his, his conception of the operation and what we should be doing in Afghanistan. Now, he could have very well, but because we saw in the hearings with Secretary Austin and General McKenzie and General Milley, that it was clear that nobody, nobody, not one of them agreed with what the president wanted to do. But the president could have come out and said, I'm the president. I heard all of what they had to say. I disagree with all of them. And here's my decision. He, he could have said that, but he didn't. He said nobody disagreed with him. So there we have a senior leader who can't be held accountable in any way except through action by the Congress, which we know that won't happen, or, or the electorate in 2024. And that could happen. So um, it wasn't crazy off base for this lieutenant colonel to be saying holding our leaders accountable is a, an important thing. And he knows I'm sure he knows that he personally is going to be held accountable for the for his actions. And that's that's important to keep in mind. He's never said I'm not I, I did everything exactly correctly. He knows that. And James, I just want to clarify a few things here um, that you said. I want to go back and just point them yeah. out. And again, I'm doing this for our listeners too. So I do agree with you that and I think in the first video or the second video, there is a couple, you know, there's several videos. I think he does unstate the obvious that he does know that this is going to change his life. Yeah. So I, I do agree with you on that. And then I just, this is a sidebar because you know that I love World War II history and I get distracted easily. <laughs> why, why, why were the Marines never in World War II? Was there a reason for that? They were in World War II, but. But not at Point Duhoc. They, they were in the Pacific. And so they weren't in the European theater of operations. They were in the Pacific and they fought valiantly in places like Iwo Jima and, and many others Guadalcanal, you, you name it. They're, they were, if there was an Philippines, if there was an action in the in the Pacific, they were there, very heroically. I mean, if we go look at the uh, Marine Corps, <clears throat> the, um, the Marine Corps monument here in Washington, in Arlington, you you'll see them. You'll see Marines raising the flag, and that was in Iwo Jima. So that's where the Marines were, and so they weren't left out. No doubt about it. They were extremely big time contributors to winning that war, especially in the Pacific. Well, thank you for the schooling on that World War II lesson. All right, back to, <laughs> back, I just love the World War II. All right, back to, um, for, because of the history, um, back to uh, Lieutenant Colonel Seller, refocusing, Lindsay. <laughs> yeah, um, so 
what kind of sometimes, and this may be the unfortunate thing about the way this is being handled in terms of the Marine Corps, is that what gets left behind is the content of what he was saying. And the focus is on the process of how he said it and when he said it and who he is. So he has to be punished. Now, the one really big beef I have with the Marine Corps is not that uh, he's being held accountable. It is that he was put in jail, in jail before he was even charged. And to put him in jail strikes me as as totally incongruent with what happens throughout the United States. You know, he was put in jail for what he said, not that he caused any action. He didn't commit some other felony crime along with it, like shooting people or or robbing somebody or selling drugs. He It was purely about what he said. So I did have a problem with that. And that's not that's not to say that I fully agree with the, the methodology that he operated from to do this, but I, I don't know that it was necessary that he be put in jail. Now, I under, you know, he did come out. He did let him out, and obviously he's going to stand trial. Well, at least stand for Article 32. I don't know if that has been waived. You know, you can waive that. That's like in the outside, it would be a grand jury, but it, but in the, in the military, an Article 32 officer is a single officer sitting who then – uh, writes a report after he's investigated, and that report is sent to the uh, convening authority, and and it, the the convening authority is under no obligation to accept what that officer recommends. Um, I just want to stop you for a second for our listeners. Take a look at, take a listen to what Mr. Hutton just said. It kind of goes back to the Eric Montalvo and Annie Ella last night. Take a listen to what he just said because that is a very important detail. Okay, I'm sorry. Please continue. Yeah, so that Article 32, um, I, <clears throat> there's no set time on how long either the proceeding lasts or how long from the end of the proceeding to the issuance of a report to the decision being made by a commander. I, I suspect in this case, all of that's going to go fairly quickly. Um, so that that's an important thing to remember. And then the convening authority will decide which, if any of the charges he he will send forward to a convening to a court martial and in this case i would suspect and i don't know this and and i'm not insider of the case that um he'll either have a special court martial and, and each of these types of court martials a summary a special and then a general court martial have various limits on the kinds of sentences they can impose if someone's convicted and so I suspect this will be handled on a, um, a special court martial. I, I don't anticipate that um, Colonel Scheller, Scheller will end up in a, a long-term confinement facility based on this. And, um, you know, I heard one of your people that talked yesterday, one of the two lawyers, and they said what, it was a, a female, and she, she said she was a, a lieutenant colonel in the reserve. Um, uh, Ms. Aniela Samansky. Yeah. Yeah, she was very eloquent in how she spoke, but she said... I love her. She's like one of my best friends. (laughs) Okay. She said in in her, what she said is the the Marines don't care about how many supporters Scheller has and that they're going to act the way they're going to act. Well, I can say as a practical matter for all of the forces, that's just not not the fact. All of our military is 
sensitive to what what's going on in the world around them. The Marines aren't some organization that serves totally in isolation. They know that there are a lot of eyes on this case. And <clears throat> whether they want to admit that or not, that will have some impact on how they respond. Now, it could mean that they're actually harsher than they would be normally. It, it could mean that they, <clears throat> they take some other actions to kind of help go, make this go away. And I think if they were to sentence him to a long term in, in prison, it wouldn't go away and it would be a nagging, festering wound for the Marine Corps to continue to have a board. And I don't think they want that. And I, and I think they even know that he doesn't really deserve that. It's going to be a big enough thing that at 17 years in the Marine Corps, he is going to be on the street one day, no pension, um, no access to the PX and commissary, um, no health care. Right. But wait, but I have a question. I want to clarify on that one. But if he gets if he gets his disability, he will have a he will have a retired military. No, he will have a veteran card, which so he will have a retired military. Yeah. No, he won't. But he will have access to post those still. Right. And you see what I'm that, getting at here. That's possible. But he certainly won't have access to TRICARE, the medical facilities on a post. Now, he could have. But he he'll could, have that through the VA. He could it depending on how he's rated for as a, as a veteran. So, you know, he looks, he, you, you never know if someone's been in 17 years, the, the standards pretty, you know, pretty clear that we're supposed to put someone out the same way we had them in. So he probably has some benefits coming to him through VA. And well, well wait, I want to break that down for a second. And you and I have talked about this offline. So let's just say, let's just pretend play with me here for a second. Let's say he gets hearing, right? That's 10%, right? Because we all have hearing problems from the military. Then he gets, um, like for me, I got flat feet, but I came in with flat feet. So that's like a 10%. We'll just say that's a frivolous one. Then he gets, um, let's say, what are some of the other minor ones that you can get that are like 10%ers? Uh, flat feet, hearing. There's a, a, a long, long list of. Right. Of, but so it's not the same. It's not the same as. But here's one real key key difference is let's assume he's uh, over 50 percent, which means he can get all of his medical care from the VA. Exactly. What that doesn't translate to is his wife and children. They get nothing. They don't get treated at a VA facility. Yeah, but he still gets TRICARE, TriWest or VA, doesn't he? No. Oh, he does. He, you- no. No, he doesn't. He's not a retiree, so he won't get that, period. Okay. Thank you for yeah. schooling, schooling me on that because I know, obviously I know you work for the VA, so you would know these things, but because I'm retired military, sometimes I don't know the difference between my retirement and yeah. my VA benefits. So I, I appreciate you clarifying that for me. The key, the key to keep in mind is you're a retiree and he won't be, and you were retired because of a med- medical problem or issue, I suspect, because, you know, you're so young. No, but, I mean, everybody knows I was retired for PTSD. Like, that's not a secret. Okay. Yeah, but it's, you know, that 40 years old is not the normal officer retirement. Right, so, and, I got, and I got 10 years, so that retirement was actually cut in half because I wanted to do 20 or 30. He's not going to be retired, and he won't be retired medically. See, I, I'm retired. I get full retirement pay and that, but what I get from the VA is separate from that. So if I had left it, seven years instead of 27 
and had all the same issues, well, I would get the rating I get from this, the VA, but no retirement from the military. And so that means the stuff like TRICARE and a lot of, and a lot of those benefits wouldn't be theirs. But I would, you know, I would be eligible for the VA benefits. Hey, I want to ask, I'm sorry, I want to ask you this question. So because I know you're tracking what I'm what I'm trying to do here. So if I'm 100, let's pretend like I'm 100% disabled, right? I automatically get community care um, under certain like, rest- or under certain regulations. So if he gets, let's say he gets community care, his family still doesn't fall up under that somehow? Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Okay. So this is a huge decision on his part. And, you know, just the money alone, just the retirement pay alone, just assume he made it to 20 years, you know, as a lieutenant colonel, I don't know what that would be, $60,000 a year or something. You know, he's a young man. He could live 30, 40 more years, and that adds up to a lot of money. So it, he's made a huge decision. Okay, but it. let's think about this, though. If he's got 2.1 whatever million coming in, right? So technically, if he doesn't get his retirement, who cares? Because- He's got that money coming in. And so if he gets his VA benefits, I, I mean, I kind of did the math on it based off of my benefits. That's like probably like $4,100 a month tax-free for him, maybe a little bit more because of his rank. I mean, so I'm, I'm just saying I don't think he's financially going to be hurting. Well, I okay. I, I don't know what that financial position is. And I, I don't know what rate... VA rating he would get. So some of it's at this point speculative. He's not out of the service yet. So I'm certain he doesn't have a VA rating as, as well. So right, but, but you, know, you know that you know that like he can apply for those benefits a year out from when he leaves. He, so, he, but I'm sure he hasn't. I, I feel certain about that. I don't know that for a fact, but remember, as of right right now, he's not leaving the military at all. I mean, he's got a He's got an Article 32 coming up, and so he can't start leaving the military until he's instructed to leave the military, you know. Um, and, Fair enough. I'll leave it alone there, but I think you yeah. know where I'm going with this. Sure, sure. Um, and and so I, I think it's fair for us to talk about um, his criticism of leadership and and the leaders in, in Afghanistan. Now, I've criticized the overall operation, but it, it doesn't begin and end with military leaders, because the decisions made on the ground were made on the ground based on guidance from the civilian leadership, the Secretary of Defense, the President of the United States, um, other leaders in the, in the, in the world of uh, international politics, the Secretary of State. The Secretary of State, people should keep in mind, is in charge of um, what we call neo-operations, that is non non-combatant evacuations personnel. So that the Secretary of the State is the one who decides, hey, we need to turn on the, the NEO. And then a lot of the NEO is conducted by the military as a, you know, as an arm that actually does things and gets stuff on the ground moving. Um, it's not clear to me that, that that decision was made in a timely fashion either. Um, but again, that's all about accountability. I know that in this this may be in some part due to people like Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. And that is the General uh, Secretary Austin. I call him General Austin because that's my memory of him in the, in the Army, um, has ordered a three-star investigation into the circumstances. 
theoretically, that, that general who I don't know, I've not heard him named, has 45 days to issue a report. I have no idea where that report's going to go or how much of it is going to be made public. But it's something we should really keep our eye out for. And I don't know when or if that uh, officer has started, but, you know, I think that a large portion of it should be made public. This was done in a very public way. It had very public ramifications and the accountability. And again, this is what was the basis of Colonel Scheller's thing. This wasn't, it didn't appear to me, personal self-aggrandizement. It wasn't, um, it wasn't some frivolous political statement. It was clear to me that he has deep, deeply held personal beliefs in this matter. And it has personally affected him in a big way. Um, you know, he was a combat veteran. You know, if you look at his uniform, you'll see medals, you know, the bronze star and all that. The stripes. One of those medals is a, an army commendation medal with a combat V. Well, you could go, you could go years and years walking around the army and not find an army guy with an army commendation medal with a combat V. So um, someone really thought highly of his actions uh, in the combat zone. And so this is not just a guy off the street complaining or a college sophomore yelling and screaming on a college campus. This is an officer who became a battalion commander. We don't select battalion commanders in a process that's frivolous. There's a lot of thought that goes into selecting battalion commanders. I know that in the army and I know for sure in the Marines, there's, I I can't name a handful of officers who've reached battalion command status who would, you know, as battalion commanders, almost several times though, several times over and over again, he was selected. Right. And, and, you know, guys like him almost undoubtedly go on at least to the rank of Colonel. And that's where that's, and some go on to command it at the uh, colonel level. And then I think he was tagged for a general, to be honest, that, if you look at his record. That's the crop of people that we think about when we think about future general officers. So this is just not a chump. This is not a guy who barely made it through the system, um, not even close to that. And so it is useful and important to listen to the content of what he says. And again, I don't think he is an ideologue. Um, this is not a, a political nature kind of background, but, uh, you know, I know it's going to be perceived that way because the, the administration that he is currently asking to have um, accountability through um, it is, you know, that of uh, uh, President Biden. So it's going to be looked at that he's some crazy white right wing guy and and i don't think he's i don't even think he's thinking in those terms at all but uh, i just want to stop you for a second i want everybody to hear what james just said because i think that's very important to the and james you don't have to say anything i think this is very important that goes to the 2.1 million dollars and i think this is also a very important point to the trump thing which we'll get into hopefully in a little bit all right go ahead james yeah and um so let me let me just say one other thing about holding people accountable in an ultimate sense. One thing that the Lieutenant Colonel, what was her name again? You, you said it just a minute ago. Miss um, um, Ali Anna Samansky. Yeah. She, she said something that was important and that was that these operations, and I know this from Iraq and my service at, 
combat was all all tours were in Iraq. But I'm sure it was the same in Afghanistan. And these these operations are really complex. And not just from a military point of view, either from international relations, logistics from a distance, interacting with the Afghan army and the Afghan government. All of those were complex. And so I don't think that the the people who made decisions, even some of the ones that were went in a horrendous fashion and were were incorrect, I don't think they did this out of malice. I think that they um, probably gave their best effort and their best effort was wasn't good enough in this case. But I, I I'm not sure that that anyone's malicious. What the malicious aspect to this comes into play when we decide not to look and dig deep and decide that someone needed to be held accountable. And that, that accountability could have been as simple as a, as a firing or as a, you know, a dismissal from a position or taking someone off a promotion list. It, it could have been that simple. Do I think someone should be tried and hung up? Now, I don't know about that, but hey, listen, we, in that, in that three-star uh, report, we might find someone who was, was derelict in duty. And I think that that's a term that gets, because, you know, that's one of his charges, the steward's charges. And I think that derelict in your duty has to be really tightly defined and supported by the facts, not by my feelings about that. Go ahead. And I, you just brought up something that reminded me of the, a point that I forgot to make last night is that, do you think, because by looking at his rank, would he have been on a promotion list, about to be on a promotion list maybe? Or, I mean, obviously it would have been years, but you know how sometimes they promote below the zone. So do you think that, the, and then he would have been flagged, right? So then I'm just wondering, because like when I got out, I was about to make BZ for major. And then they um, double BZ because logistics was like in need of it, but I was actually a fail at the time, but I was still under logistics. So my point is to you is that, do you think that there's a possibility that he was coming up for promotion within like the next year, couple of years? Well, I, you know, it's 17 years. It's doubtful that he was up for some promotion at that point, <laughs> but the normal, normal rate of promotion is someone gets looked at around in this, I think applies to the Marines and the army and the Air Force, for that matter, you get looked at in the zone at about 21 years and are promoted to a colonel around 22 years. Now, it's possible it could have been major and lieutenant colonel. That could have set it off a couple of years, but then that would have put him still a, a few years away. Well, then I also want to, again, you know how I like to go off on tangents, because follow me on this one, James. So like if he leaves the military, right, with a BCD honorable general with a flag on his, he's got to have a TS, right? There's no way he doesn't. Is that going to affect his civilian life if he tries to get a government job later on? Um, well, the short answer is I don't know for sure. Certainly someone who's been court-martialed, that's going to be um, considered in a security clearance process, but I don't know how that will be handled and um, and I can't say for sure that that it would prevent or still allow it, that that's that's kind of outside my level of expertise. But I can say that the result of a court martial is certainly something that's going to be considered for anyone seeking a security clearance. No question about that. Yeah. And just for our audience, like I think that that's um, our listeners. That's like a very important point. So 
depending on his, and this is why I keep reiterating this, depending on what his discharge status is, it could have so, so many long-term effects. And we talked about this last night in the podcast, being, being buried in Arlington is one of those things. Um, so just follow me on that. You know, if he gets flagged and he stays flagged, I don't know if the flag will stay in the system, but it could for clearance. And then he could easily explain it when he does, when he renews his clearance. So there's a lot of different like pieces there that I just, I just want you to think about. I'm just trying to stimulate. Um, I can thoughts. speak a bit too. So, you know, there's a, a little slightly bit, bit of different rules for Arlington than there are for the other national cemeteries, almost all of which are run by the VA. Um, and you would have to look on the VA website to see what, how the, how the VA is going to look at all of that. But the Army, Army runs the Arlington National Cemetery, and there is a process um, and a set of rules and guidelines for who is allowed to be buried at Arlington already. So I suspect that as it stands at this moment, he's done enough that he would qualify. Um, but gonna, that, I'm going to disagree because if he gets a BCD, no, no, no. I said as it, as it stands, I mean, based on his record, that if he just got out of the Army or the Marine Corps and he was honorably discharged or probably even general under honorable conditions, he probably would be qualified for, for the standards. And, and again, I'm not the, the, you know, the source of expertise on the Army standard, but there are rules that there are some people that could serve in the Army today, get out and still not be qualified for Arlington because of there's a set of rules. And the reason for that is there is a limited amount of space. And I, I think I last heard that with their new land acquisition that they did in the last 10 or so years, that that projection for when that ends is 2034. And I really am hopeful that, uh, you know, he, he will, he will make it way past that time and then there'll be alternatives to be had. Um, Thank you for clarifying that. And I just want to throw out there that there are, they are looking for a place for a woman's um, section in Arlington, and they haven't made any decisions on that yet. But that's a very interesting thing to think about for you ladies out there. Well, then that could affect, you know, a lot of the men and that could shorten that time span. Um, but, you know, I, I hope that that's the last thing on his mind at this point, because he, um, he, he has to worry about this case and worry about the conduct for the rest of his life. And then uh, all of the options he has to try to get whatever discharge he has upgraded and all of that, that has to be something that he needs to concentrate on. You know, the vast, vast majority of our veterans, even combat veterans, are, are not buried at Arlington National Cemetery. And, um, you know, as I said, even though I am very qualified for it, that is not going to, that's not my intent, you know, for various reasons, but one of which is <laughs> he, he you have to wait several months before they can actually inter someone at Arlington. There's a big backup list and all of that. So anyway, I, I, I hope that that's not his biggest concern and I don't think it is. It that's is not what, I digress. You know, how I like to go down rabbit holes. I'm like good at that. That's not what drove him to, you know, do this. His, I, I accept on face value, his intent. And I accept at face value, his um, sincere belief in what he did. Um, as a personal matter, I wouldn't have done it the same way. Um, but 
And I think most officers weren't because let me tell you, I know I've talked to a lot of officers on active duty and retired. And I haven't yet talked to one, even ones with different political views than my own. I haven't talked to one who thinks, boy, that whole thing in Afghanistan was handled beautifully. It's a good deal. I'm glad they did it. I just, I just can't, I just haven't heard anyone discuss it in those terms. Even people that are very, very sympathetic to the current administration, even they acknowledge that this just wasn't a big deal. And I, and I'll, I'll be honest with you. So obviously you said I was a political appointee and I was from president Trump. If this had happened under president Trump, I would strongly have considered resigning and you would hear me saying these same things. And I would have been castigated and finished as a Republican operative. And, and that would have been okay with me because I got to tell you the Marine, my Marines, my soldiers, my sailors, my airmen, my, even my Coast Guardsmen are way, way more important to me um, than, than a current administration or the potential for me to rise higher in a political office. And, because in my view, if that's what you're in this for, you're in it for all the wrong reasons. It's, self, it's self-aggrandizement. It's, you know, it's building your own empire. And I, and I, and I just want to note there that I think that that's why Biden's ratings have gone down so far. I think they're down to like 32 or, you know, nobody takes those surveys by Democrats. But like, I think that's important to note how his ratings went down significantly because of that. And I think that's key there because it actually made Democrats think about who they voted for. And I'm hoping that when he runs again or doesn't run again or when Trump wins or doesn't win, we can I can go down this rabbit hole, too. But I think that it, that is an important thing to note that his ratings went down because the Democrats actually paid attention because they do like veterans and they do care about our military. So I think that's a very important point there, Mr. Hutton. Thank you. But Lindsay, let's be honest. It wasn't just Afghanistan. <laughs> we could point to the border. We could point to the budget. We could point to uh, Hunter Biden's uh, paintings. paintings. Well, I mean, I, the, list, <laughs> the list is long now. You know, the one thing I've said on other broadcasts that were, you know, real uh, far more political is, um, well, name me, name me the success he's had on something. I, you just can't I find mean, it. It just doesn't I mean, exist. I, it was the outcome of a policy decision for what happened in Afghanistan, the way it happened. You know, they tried to make it and say, well, some people just want to stay there forever and all of that. But, you know, I, I've asked some people, OK, you know, we, we won the war in Europe. In Germany, in what year? Nineteen forty-five. When did we? Yeah, leave? end of forty-five. We left we, and we, never, we never. Didn't. So we fought a Korea, uh, war in Korea, which ended in nineteen fifty-three. When did we leave? Never. We haven't left. We fought the World War Two also in Japan. And when did we leave? Never. I love this game. So yeah. So um, staying with a minimal force in which, you know, in the last 18 months that not a single person, not a single American soldier or Marine was killed, um, says that, you know, whatever you think of President Trump, something was going okay. Um, and I, I know it wasn't perfect, and they were still in danger. And, you know, it was, everything was tenuous, and we saw how tenuous it was by the outcome that, that, that we had. But, you know, willy nilly. And 
We did this same thing, and that's the other thing is we we were supposed we supposedly learned a lesson at the end of Iraq. President Obama said, "I'm getting us out of Iraq." You know, darn it! And our forces drove literally drove out of the country into Kuwait in 2011. And guess what we had to do? And guess what that did? It created something called ISIS, and we had to go back and help squash ISIS. But the guy who went back and squashed ISIS was a guy named Trump. And he did it with the minimal force he had to do. He didn't stay there. He got it done. And Iraq today is not run by ISIS. And I also want to point out who is still in charge of Syria too. Yeah, right, right, right. But but again, none of these things are clean and easy and neat. And, and I, I appreciate that. I appreciate the fact that you know, President Obama had tough choices, President Bush, President Trump, and even President Biden had tough choices, and none of them are wonderful choices, but... I, but this- I will give Obama so much more credit than I will give Biden, though. If I had to pick one, I, I, I think Obama may have caused a little bit of a race war, but I think he cared enough. I mean, that's just Lindsey Rowland's thoughts, but I, 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 I don't get, I'm not giving Biden any excuses on this one, and I don't think the American public is either. No, but had he left a force there, then he it would have been a tough political decision for him to make. But okay. you know, given that he did, doesn't know anything at all about the situation, despite the fact that he was the vice president and before that in the Senate and forever, um, he really is not the expert in that he thinks he is in, in foreign policy. But and, that's not a good excuse, though. I'm going to call you out on that. It's not a good excuse. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying so. Given that, he should have listened more to his expert advisors, and that wasn't just in the military. Remember, it's pretty clear that Secretary Blinken kind of agreed with the Army guys, you know, and the Marines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, you know, can you talk about your thoughts on Austin a little bit? Well, General Austin. I, again, I call him General Austin because that's where I saw him. Um, he served in Iraq when I did. He was the uh, Corps commander for multinational corps. He took over command from General Odierno. And then, as I told you, with General Odierno, um, we came back just a few months later, but General Odierno was now the four-star commander taking over from General Petraeus. And I saw him morning after morning after morning in meetings, a very thoughtful guy, deliberate in his thinking, intelligent person. Um, cares about his troops and all of that. And so I'm, I'm a little bit dismayed because in all of this, he has been the figure that has been seen the least. Remember, in our country, there are two civilians, total two civilians in the chain of command. One's the president, which is obvious, commander in chief, and the other is the secretary of defense. And leaving really? the public realm to his spokespersons, uh, Admiral Kirby, retired Admiral Kirby, and others, um, and then other people like General Milley, um, leaving that to them is is not appropriate. General Milley is not in the chain of command, and you know at this point he's he's a figure that kind of is a diplomat, but that we're we're debating that right now too, right? But it's con- he's controversial to say the least. And General Austin has spoken a couple of times, and then, of course, he was forced to speak at hearings. Um, but even there, 
he really didn't want to address the big issues. What he wanted to do was make this look like it was a great military operation, this evacuation. But he didn't want to say, here, but here's why we had to do this crazy, nutty thing, you know, and drive our troops like crazy to get them to do it. Well, of course they were successful. That's what they do for a living. And James, it also goes back to the point that his agenda has been wokeness. So how are you going to talk about wokeness and then you're not going to support our troops that just died? Like the, well, the hypocrisy is absolutely overwhelming here. Well, you know, what, whatever the case with that, General Austin, or Secretary Austin needs to be more, way more a public figure in all of this. Um, from a point of taking responsibility, from a point of, of a point of view of demanding accountability all the way up and down the chain of command. And, and that can include general officers on the ground. That can include general McKenzie, who was, you know, and if you noticed at that hearing, he wouldn't even do opening statements to our congressmen and women who he works for. That was such an ass thing to do. He's he's like, I'm not even going to give opening statements. Are you kidding me? You're the Marine Corps head. You better give an opening statement. Well, I, I, you know, you know me, Lindsay, that I won't characterize General McKenzie. I, I know, I know for a fact that General McKenzie has a lot of years of great service, but in this case, um, you're right in that he should have had a, he should have had his statement. I want to, I do now, I do want to hear his side. I want to hear his story and his. We deserve to hear it, and so does Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. So he should have he should have put a little eloquency into that. He should have cared enough in that hearing to put a little eloquency in there to actually represent the Marines that he represents. But but let me tell you, um, we, we need to hear from everyone involved in depth. And but you you know you originally had asked me about Secretary Austin and what I would like to see from General Austin, Secretary Austin, is him to come out a lot more public uh, more often and more about this and with not just elaboration on what went wrong, but what exactly we're doing about it to make it right. And maybe, maybe still, maybe he'll do that when that three-star report comes out, but I think we should hold him to that, that we should, when that report does come out, if they say, well, you know, 80% of it is uh, classified and we can't release it. Well, we then have to press on him to put more of it out public. I, I know there will be some aspects that will be classified and can't be let out because of sources and, and, and methods. But well, I most- think you and I both agree that Austin has a responsibility to the press to some degree, even though he doesn't really like the press. Like he has a responsibility to at least make a statement. I mean, would you concur? Oh, he, he certainly has a responsibility to the nation um, when it comes to uh telling us what our military is doing and why and um that's something he's capable of i know even in the military my military days with him that that wasn't you know his his uh forte to say it nicely i think he's not comfortable speaking to to media or through media but what he's got to realize is that you know our messages aren't meant for media our messages are meant for the people that get those messages. And he needs to be talking through the media to our, to our publics, you know, all of our publics and, and those key publics are the, the general American taxpayer and, and his soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines. 
and the people that work at Department of Defense and all of the services in the Pentagon. And there's no one better equipped and no one else in the chain of command um, to speak other than the secretary and the president. And we already know the president's done with this. This issue for him is, I, I guarantee you this, there's going to come a time in the not too distant future when Jen Psaki, the White House spokesperson, is going to get to the podium and someone's going to ask her about Afghanistan. And her answer is Circle going back. to her, her, her answer is going to be, hey, asked and answered. Let's move on to the new the next topic. Right. That's- and I just want to address that right there, because you know what my big issue is, James? My big issue is that he can't come online and he can't do a press conference because they won't let him talk. Yeah, he has time to kill our soldiers. He has time to murder our soldiers in Afghanistan, but he doesn't have time to come online and talk to the American people. I have a real problem with that. And I actually yeah. think she's adorable. You know, I'm, 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 I'm you know, I, 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 I'm a big woman supporter. I think her hair is cute. I think that it was mean how they made fun of the, the Republican women that, you know, we've, we've talked about that, um, that were doing her same job. So I actually give her credit and she's endured this whole time where we kept switching out with the guys that we had. So I, I give, I give her credit, you know, but you're right. It's like, how many times are we going to say, we're not going to talk about this anymore because it hasn't left the news cycle yet. Veterans still care. The Afghanistan people are still there. So I don't want to talk about this new bill that they can't pass. I want to talk about the soldiers that died. I want to talk about the families. I want to talk about the Afghanistan people that are still there. And I think this goes back to Austin and it goes back to Biden. We want to hear from you. We deserve to hear from you. Yeah, um, we do deserve to hear from you. We we actually deserve to hear more from the president. But I've given up on that. It's not going to happen. Exactly. Uh, But Secretary Austin is kind of the next best thing. And, you know, if I have to trust one or the other, I'm going to trust Secretary Austin more. You know, it's just the way I mean, I would I would agree with you on that, because at least at least Austin's got the military career like Biden, you know. We pretend like his son died in war, even though like God bless Bo for dying of cancer. But like it goes back to the point that like you can't use Bo as an excuse to the American families that lost people in combat. Like it just doesn't sell well. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah, I you know, I I think that's unfortunate that that's a, that's a method now. You know, and I and of course you know that I uh, Bo was on our staff when I was in Iraq. And, um, so I saw him several times. He was a, he was a captain in the national guard, but he was a lawyer, um, on staff. And so we saw him and a delightful person and very smart and very, very much a humble figure that, um, never got special treatment, um, because of his last name, not that I saw anyway. And, um, the only, the, <clears throat> Probably the only thing, a little extra he got was that when President Obama came, he got to meet him. We'll give him that, right? Like, oh, let's give him that. I, I give him that. And, but, <laughs> but, and I was sad when he died and everything, but I. No, I, and I think we all were, James. I'm not trying to, like, you know, take discredit, Bo, and I think you agree with me, but it's just the point that, like, you can't compare apples to oranges when we're talking about lemons. I mean, if that makes sense, if that's even a quote. Right. Yeah. And and of course, you know, but President Biden has a lot of problems. He has a lot of problems in in not not all of which he created in the first place, but he's kind of made worse by his actions. I mean, the border being the perfect example 
there were solutions in place that weren't perfect, that could have been made better. And his administration decided that, um, that instead of uh, building on what was already happening, he's going to do the opposite. You know, it's like George Costanza on, on Seinfeld, you know, when he decided to do just the opposite of everything he had ever done, whatever his feelings were before. And, and, but in this case, it didn't, it didn't turn out well at all for, for the country and is not turning out well and not being fixed because we've got a president who is intent on uh, doing things this way. Now he can do it. It's the same thing in Afghanistan. He didn't have to take everybody's advice and he didn't. Uh, but you know, he should have been, he should have been forthright with the nation when he said, and, and said, you know, I disagreed with all of them and I know a better way. And it was my decision and that's it. At least we would have said, at least you, you, you know, you took the responsibility for what happened, but no, he tried to say they were all on his, his team. And that's one thing that this thing with Stuart Schiller is, has done. And that is kept this alive a little bit in that sense. But at the same time, I think Stewart's and, you know, he's, he's going to have some rough days ahead. And I think this is an important segue. I want to digress or regress, however you want to say it. I, I would like to talk about the Trump issue um, in regards to Lieutenant Colonel Schaller. You know, all I know is what I've heard that he said he didn't want Trump's support or something like that. I don't know. He, you know, I'm not sure why Trump's name was even poured into this. He's not the president. He has no role right now in deciding this case or, you know, giving a pardon or any of that. So I'm not sure why that's even being mentioned. And um, I don't know the motivation that that Stewart may have had in in saying that. It may have been just that this I don't want this the whole thing to be political. I want it to be, you know, on its own merits. That may be it. I don't know. But you can tell me better, maybe. I mean, I think, I mean, I'm just speculating too off of what I saw on the news because my thinking was that because of the relationship to the Eddie Gallagher Foundation, maybe there was an issue there with the money. And then because he was, um, because he was pardoned or exonerated by Trump. And then you also have Duncan Hunter, who I'm not sure if he sits on the board, but he has a relationship to that foundation. And of course he was exonerated slash pardoned by Trump as well. So I think that it was a distancing mechanism from those two. And I don't think it actually had anything to do with Trump supporters. But I'm just speculating because I was watching the news just like you were. Yeah. Well, I won't comment on Eddie Gallagher and I won't comment on Duncan Hunter. Um, But that you're right. That may be the reason that that he thought that. But um, in in both their, their cases, he they were they were pardoned by the president. Not exonerated now, mind you, but but pardoned. It's not the same. Well, right. Thing. Let's let's talk about that because like that was a little bit unclear to me because like so I feel like Duncan Hunter would have been pardoned, but then Eddie Gallagher would have been what what was the correct term for him? Pardoned. Okay, so they were both pardoned. Yes. Because exonerated would have been when they were already serving in jail time. Or can you clarify that for for everybody? Yeah, well, yeah, I'm speaking as a non-lawyer, but it exonerated would have mean it went back into the court system and that a judge decided that he was not guilty. Okay, uh, and, and hey, for our listeners, take a listen to that. That's a very important detail there, pardon, exonerated, because there's a difference versus military, civilian court, um, 
you know, you get where I'm going with that one. Yeah, yeah. Pardon doesn't address originating innocence or guilt. Um, you know, you can be pardoned without even having been charged with a crime. I, you know, President Ford pardoned Richard Nixon in advance of any potential trials or uh, charges. So um, that, that's that's different than saying someone's guilty or not guilty. But again, I I really don't want to address Eddie Gallagher or Duncan Hunter for sure. No, I completely agree. That's why I do it. Um, okay. Um, next thing I would want to talk about real quick, and we talked about this last night in the podcast. What were your thoughts on uh, the soldier that went to the Trump rally that was part of the baby over the fence in Afghanistan? What were your thoughts on him? Because he was in, he was not in uniform. He was not, he did not make a political statement, but he was still hanging out with our former president. So what are your thoughts on that per regulation and kind of you just kind of knowing Trump? Yeah, that was not a, you know, President Trump is not an announced candidate for office and rallies that, you know, there are exceptions to rallies that you, you can't attend that are not political. For example, if the the neo-Nazis of America have a rally, well, there are rules against being, you know, someone who belongs to an extremist or racist group. Um, so going to that rally is never okay. Well, but let me ask you what it was. Six, former it, president giving a speech, um, attending that rally, you know, is should be no problem at all, especially if you're not going on there and, you know, making political statements, which I, as I, as you mentioned, I don't think that happened. So. No, he didn't make any political statements, but I want to make another point here. Follow me on this one. So if I was active duty military and I somehow got connected with six January, um, the cap, the Capitol riot part. And I was, but I was in civilian clothes. Now, could I face, um, could I face issues with that when I went back to my unit? Yeah. Again, I'm not, I'm not uh, a lawyer, but I think that if criminal activity happens at a rally that you're in, especially if you participate in that criminal activity, you are certainly setting yourself up for, um, for potential action against you in civil court, civilian court, or in military court. So my best advice to you is if you are attending a rally at which you think criminal conduct is going to be prevalent and, or that you're going to participate in it, I would just say, don't, <laughs> don't. Okay, I, think, I think that's fair advice. Yeah. But like, okay. So let's, let's say you want to go safely and, um, and you want to have fun. And again, it goes back to the Trump rally how would you suggest to to all service members that they do it safely so that they don't have to face any um, consequences with their command? I think, you know, it's okay to be, to communicate with your commanders. Remember in the military, you've signed up for some things that not everyone else in the country is going to have to abide by. And it's important to us in the, in the military to assure our nation that we're about laws and we're about following laws and uh, following the rules of our chain of command to the best of our ability, and that they should look to us as being some an organization that is is not uh, motivated by political uh, uh, rhetoric or you know our political beliefs. I can tell you, I served for 27 years, and I guarantee you that in a, in a lot of my time was in public affairs, speaking to to media. 
speaking publicly, publicly, and I guarantee you that you can't see one thing that I ever said at any time that can be construed as political in nature. You couldn't figure out what my political beliefs were by, by the actions I took. And that's the way for the military it's kind of supposed to be. Um, I hate, I didn't know General Austin, Secretary Austin was, a, you know, raging Democrat. <laughs> well, until he took office, I didn't know that. That's not the way he conducted his, his. And that's professional on his part, right? Very professional on his part. Yeah. Hey, I do want to point out this though, um, for, for people listening. So when I was in Iraq, I was in Kuwait, but I ran convoys through Iraq. So I came back off mission one time and Bush was there and he yeah. came and spoke to our troops. And I just want to point out to people because like technically, if you think about it, that could be the military's equivalent of a civilian rally. So if I'm there in uniform and Bush comes and he, I think it was Bush Jr. Obviously it was Bush Jr. Speaks to us, right? Because he's the commander in chief and he rallies us. Um, that is different than if I go to let's say the Trump rally in Detroit or Toledo, Ohio, and I go in civilian clothes, yet I'm not in uniform, but I'm on leave from my base. And I, I just, do you see, you follow me? Like, I think it's important to understand that like, that the, they can appear to be political rallies when you're on active duty and you're deployed, but they may not be, they may not be the same thing when you come back and you're a civilian and you just like, let's, or not a civilian, I'm sorry, you just got back from deployment and you hear there's a rally going on in your town and you want to go. Yeah. Um, and there are different rules. Uh, you know, when I got back from Iraq the first time, we had a, a giant two division. It wasn't a rally, but it was a speech given to us by uh, Vice President Cheney there on Fort Hood, 4th Infantry Division, 1st Cavalry Division, all in a giant field. And, you know, 40 or 50,000 of us were out there. Um, well, he, he's, you know, vice president's not the commander in chief, but he's certainly, you know, working there on behalf of the president and his speech. And he see, he knew he had to be careful, too. He, he didn't use any of that speech by saying, hey, vote for us, you know, <laughs> you know, vote for your local congressman or something like that. Not, not, not any of that kind of stuff happens. And I think all of us should be careful. Um, and if it's a close call, I know which way I would go. And if it's a close call and I'm in uniform and uh, certainly if I'm uniform or still on, even on active duty and not in uniform, that if it's a close call that I would, um, I would not, not be there, but that's me. And you got to remember, I grew up in the army. My father was an army officer and he was in the old school of army officers who didn't even vote. And I, you know, years later, I asked interesting, him, interesting. Why, why, why didn't you vote for all those years? And he said, you know, army officers, we're not in that. We're not in political politics. We don't vote. You know, General Marshall was like that. Uh, General of the Army Marshall, who uh, went on to become Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense, a five-star general. But, but that was his belief too. Now, I don't share that belief personally. I think that as Americans, we, we should vote and our voices are important too. Um, and then there are some officers who even say, after you retire, you shouldn't speak about political things. Well, if it's related to the military and we're not speaking about these things as former officers, and you know, I'm not pretending to be having been the chief of staff of the army or anything, but. But you were pretty damn close. 
Well, I was, I was, well, no, not really, <laughs> but, but I was in long enough to have an opinion. And why should I keep that bottled up when there are other people that would, were with no experience at all, who will gladly step in and talk about those issues ad nauseum, and they're not doing so from a basis of experience. So and I do, I do want to point out to everybody because I, you know, I'll, I, I think that we should have a political voice in the military, but we need to do it correctly. And so I'm just citing, citing my example. So when I was in Iraq, I had my absentee ballot sent to my APO account, and then I was able to absentee ballot for Ohio, and I was actually able to vote for the president. Of course, I didn't talk about it with my soul. Well, I talked about it internally with my soldiers, like, you know, just like my, my platoon, but like we were we were able to actually have a political discussion without having it officially and, and put our vote in. So I think it's important to take a look and like most States will send you an absentee ballot anywhere and they will renew your license. Um, side note, rabbit hole. They will renew your license. If you're military, right. They will just mail you a new one. So you actually don't have to, you don't actually have to redo your license. So just yeah. take a look at state by state, but the absentee ballot is, is amazing. And they make sure veterans get them. Even if you're at an APO in Germany, even if you're like, if you, you return stateside and it comes to your home of record, they there, that system is very good at making sure that you stay up to date to vote. And I think that is really important right now coming up with like the elections coming up. No, well, the house coming up, like, how do you receive your because veterans have different privileges on how veterans and active duty military have different privileges on how they can vote because it's sent to their home of record slash APO address. So take a look, take a look active duty military on where you're voting at and where you're not voting at, because even though you're inside the military, your vote still counts. That's right. And, and so for, for my own way of thinking is I'm, I, you know, when I was on active duty, that was, that was my sole outlet for political statements. It was voting and that was it. And I didn't share the results of that with my staff and my subordinates. And, and that's the way it should be in, but when you get out and when you retire, you should be able to say whatever you want and what, and, and hopefully it's thoughtful and hopefully it's based on some kind of information that you have that, the general public might not have, I don't mean insider information, but just the way decisions are made and the way thought, thoughts are bantied about in the military. Um, but, um, but I think as we, you know, as we get back to Stuart in all of this is that I hope we look at the substance of what he's asking for and, and at the same time separately, but, you know, we can still hold him accountable he he understands that's coming and and as you said in one of the videos he even acknowledged that was coming and you know sometimes when you take a stand it's almost like civil disobedience part of being someone who executes civil disobedience is accepting what comes along with that and um that's kind of what he has done but he's i think he's going to come out of this okay but he's got rough days ahead and no, no officer that entered the entered service expects to be standing before a judge at the end of his career. And that judge hit, hits the gavel and says, you, you know, you're out and you've got a record now and you're guilty. And here's what's going to come into you. 
nobody wants that. And I don't think even he wants that, but he understands that that's what's, uh, what's coming. And, um, you know, I oh, it also reference back to like, the, also reference back to the, the title of this podcast. Can you reference like what you mean by the title of our podcast? You mean carry on? No, no. The title of this episode. I'm sorry. You're going to have to tell me <laughs> um, what what that is. I, I've already forgotten. <laughs> Patri- Patriots doing what's best for America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. And 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 I I don't I don't doubt Stewart's patriotism, and I think he believes he's doing the right thing for the country, just as I do, just as you do. Um, and um, so that's not in question, you know. The, the way it was executed that, you know, that will have to be taken care of in a, you know, separately too, but I don't question his resolve and I don't question his uh, motivation. I, I don't think there's some ulterior sinister motive for what he did. And that has, that needs to be taken into account. And his, you know, that uh, his record overall needs to be taken into account too. This is not some guy who committed an armed robbery at a liquor store. This is a guy who said some things. And, and, you know, we've already put him in jail before he was even charged. And that is, I, you know, that, that just is bothersome. I, you know, you know, there were, there was a picture I saw with him in handcuffs. Did, did they really need handcuffs for him? You know, I saw that too, but remember they, they fuzzed his face out. So was that him? I mean, was that him? Cause I was wondering the same thing. I don't know. I hope it's not him, but I don't know why he would be in handcuffs because he, I think he turned himself in. But I think, uh, I think you're right. I think that they do handcuff you. Cause I, I think we all know I had a similar situation in my own career and I'm pretty sure they do handcuff you. So I think that is him, but I, I I'm hope not sure. I hope that's not the case. And, 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 um, and however this is resolved, I don't think it should end up with him being imprisoned, but that's just my personal view. I think it's going to be quite enough, quite enough. I mean, just think of how, if he had made it to 20 years and retired and he, you know, whatever he was getting and lived a normal lifespan, you know, it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars he's giving up. That's like a mega fine. And I think that's probably more than enough. In his case, he's going to have a record that says he was court-martialed. He's going to have issues with employment right away. And all of that's going to be something he's going to have to deal with for the rest of his life. So I don't know that uh, going to jail is is um, something that's worth worth it in this case. I don't, I don't, I don't think that. But and you know how I like to beat a dead horse until it's really, really dead, but... That's why he needs an honorable discharge so that he's able to maneuver and do the things that he wants to do. And so I think that that's the key point here that it's not about that. you. Okay, let me rephrase that. It's not that you need an honorable discharge. You earned an honorable discharge. So why go through years of trying to upgrade your status, work on your VA benefits, try to get your retirement. And I've always said, um, always is in like the last two weeks because it's been like Groundhog Day every day um, on crack. Is that he can go to a National Guard or Marine Reserve unit for three years and he can ride it out and he can get his full benefits, right? But he can't do that under certain discharge statuses. So I, 
I just, I, again, just, and then, you know, this has been put on the, on the news by the Marine Corps. He needs an honorable discharge because he earned it. And I will tell you, he should not be spending the next few years trying to upgrade these things. He has bigger and better things to do. And, and again, that is just coming from me. Yeah. Well, we can be hopeful that the Marines, you know, it's in the hands of the Marines at this point. And, and um, hopefully they're negotiating something with his lawyers. I don't know, but, um, but, you know, I, I hope for the best for him, but I, you know, I know, and he knows that, that some kind of punishment's coming his way. I just, I hope it doesn't include a jail and I hope it doesn't include a, uh, you know, bad, like a bad conduct discharge or uh, general under other than honorable conditions or something. But, you know, all of that's still possible. And, and you know, one thing's true, and that is if you commit an, an offense, you don't get to dictate how it comes out. And and uh, so that's still well known. And I'm, I'm hopeful, like, I'm, I'm trying to be an optimist on this one. And I think the American public is too. I'm hoping for an honorable discharge and not another day in the brig. Um, yeah. But, right? Yeah. I mean, wouldn't that be the best case scenario? Yes, yes. All right, I, I just want to, I know that we, we agreed on 30 minutes for this and we're like way past that now. So I know you have, I know you have other things to do because you were on a great podcast this morning, by the way, guys, check it out. Um, you want to talk about how you're on a weekly podcast? Yeah, it's with WWNC in uh, Mark Starling in Asheville, North Carolina, and it, it's a live show. And then he put he pulls it all into a, a podcast. Which um, my my segment is only usually six minutes. I think it was a little bit shorter today. We had a break and something happened in the sound, but um, that's. That's kind of what I've been doing every Monday morning at 823 WWNC in Nashville, North Carolina. And that's worth seeing. And I, I have been writing op-eds too. I thought I had one coming out last week. It, it, it did not come out. So uh, maybe a decision was made to not, uh, not publish it, but n- nonetheless, I keep writing them. And um, I'm trying, my goal in, in all of that is to keep the idea of Afghanistan and what happened there is a lesson that we need to keep relearning as we judge the fitness of um, members of Congress, as we judge the fitness of appointed leaders in departments of defense and, and state and in the White House. When we go back to the ballot boxes in 2022 and 2024, it's I, I do not want this to fade into the background as ancient history and it shouldn't and there are lots and lots of things to still be decided in this case and not the least of which is Stuart Scheller's case right and he wasn't even in Afghanistan but it's about that so we exactly genau genau I know we both speak German so we kind of bite of which reckon yeah (laughs) we want to keep this in a in a place where People at least contemplate it when they decide what to do when they go into the um, in, into the election booth and That's decide them. who should be our leaders. And, you know, it's the same thing with the, the border. It's the same, you know, these are issues that keep on affected or, you know, vaccinations, however you believe on vaccinations. Um, I, by the way, have been fully vaccinated. And I think that's that, that's a good thing, but I would never presume to to get into people's personal 
medical decisions, but that's another thing for you to consider. If you consider that a, a uh, responsible role of government, well, that's your, you know, something you need to think about too. I mean, that's a very interesting point there because you have to wonder, and we know that um, you guys watch the news in this coming week, you know, there's going to be some revelations coming um, publicly for the shot in the military. So that's, I mean, obviously that's another huge issue that is internally going on as well as I think definitely relates back to the Lieutenant Colonel Scheller case, maybe indirectly or indirectly, but I think, I think they're all the same issues here. Well, some are even beyond that. Like, the, you know, do you think a $3.5 billion bill should, you know, be crammed through Congress or, you know, and these right. are things to consider. And I know some of this stuff is happening well before the election uh, of 2022 and 2024, but there are things that people should think about in deciding who should be president. One thing I've often said about President Trump is that, um, he had a, a long list, and now certainly I can speak on behalf of what I saw in the VA, um, a, a laundry list of accomplishments. He, you know, you don't like his tweets. I Okay, I hear that. You don't like the way he talks at the podium. I, I hear that. But is it is that more important than results? I, you know, it's not a hard call for me. Results matter way more than than beautiful, wonderful speeches. And um, not that President Biden is gives wonderful, beautiful speeches, but, you know, President Obama did. And I just. Well, wait, let's go back there. I think he does give wonderful, amazing speeches. So can you clarify that? Yeah, I'm comparing him to his former boss, President Obama, who gave these eloquent, uh, you know, soaring speeches. But you, you just at the end of it, you didn't have anything to show for it at the end of his eight years in office. You had a lot of fluff and a race war. So, just Lindsay Rowland saying that. So I, I just think it's important that we recognize um, what what has really happened in in the world. And and for me, my little corner of the universe, writing and talking about Afghanistan and and how that's a good indicator of presidential decision making and decisions is something that every American needs to take into account, whether they end up agreeing with the president or not, you know, but they should at least understand that um, there are real consequences when you go into that booth. And there are outcomes that are, you know, not predictable. And, you know, and, and of course, any president has things that don't go right, or <clears throat> presidents make bad decisions or make them for the wrong reasons. Every president's that way. But when it's like decision after decision after decision, in fact, you can't get to one that's a good one, um, then then maybe, OK, it's not just a happenstance here, you know, and if Afghanistan stood in isolation to everything else, I still think it's very important for people to know about um, and still think about. But it's not nearly one of a kind. It's one of many. And that that's important for the nation. And I, and I just want to note that I, you know, you, you did mention your little corner, but you know, your little corners power. And I, I, I obviously realize you're being a little facetious, but like your, your corner is so powerful because of the experiences that you have and your voice is so powerful. So I just want to thank you for your op-eds and, you know, continuing to keep the mission alive going on the podcast, because it, it is just so important because your experience is, is 
is something that we all need to listen to. So with that said, I do want to play a little quick game. Okay. Can you list the top two things you like best about working for President Trump? The first thing is that whenever we went to the White House to talk about veterans, and it wasn't often that I got to see him. Don't get me wrong. We weren't buds. He wouldn't recognize me if he met me on the street today because I was always in the back row. Um, but when he talked to us about veteran stuff, it was always, hey, let's do whatever we need to do with the veterans. You come to, to me if we need to battle this out with members of Congress or any of that. But I want you to do what's best for, for veterans. And if you don't, you're going to hear from me. And that was really good. That was a really good thing. And, and he held to that. And things that we needed for veterans, he was there. And when he, you know, but now it is true that in, in the case of Veterans Affairs, that um, a lot of what we did was done on a bipartisan basis. There weren't a lot of people that want to come out and speak out against the veterans, you know, <laughs> and that's good. that's good for our veterans and that's good for the country. Um, but that was one thing. And I, you know, the, the second thing I, because that's a really big thing. And that's one, one thing, um, but the, the, the clarity he gave us was the other thing, the clarity he gave us on where, where he, what he thought about an issue, whether it was anything to do with the military or veterans or not. Um, there wasn't, there weren't little tricks played from the podium at the white house press briefing room. Um, he said what he thought and he gave us his view. And if the country or members of the opposite party or even his own party didn't like it, it's not like that stopped him from giving his view. Um, political. Well, what would you, I'm sorry. I, you know, I love to cut people off. What, what did you think when they came out about him not liking veterans that like he had made negative statements in the white house about veterans? Like, where did that come from? Well, I think that that came from his his back and forth with um, the senator from Arizona. I can't uh, think either. Um, senator McCain. And McCain. Okay. I I think there was some back and forth there, and that that was the the extrapolation from that was that he hates veterans because he didn't like John McCain. Well, the two things aren't you know don't go exactly hand in hand. John McCain yeah. wasn't. Apples was, and oranges don't equal lemons. But he was one veteran and not all veterans. And I, I suspect that's where that came from. But but veterans knew that that was Jane Fonda, you're an asshole. What's that? I was just saying Jane Fonda, you're an asshole, which relates back to who you're talking about. If you re if you read his book. Oh, OK. <laughs> OK. But um, I, I suspect that um, that. Even even people on the other side of the aisle behind the scenes wouldn't quibble with his commitment to veterans. I, I think that's I think we can safely say that. But publicly, they're going to come out and whatever whatever single issue that they have with the president, President Trump, um, it's going to be extrapolated to, you know, he doesn't he hates veterans. But that's, you know, that's part of the part of the system today. Um, What's your number two point? That was my number two. Oh, okay. Sorry. I can't keep track. But hey, you remember? Clarity um, and then the decisions and, and the guidance he gave on veterans. That, were the, that was the two. Do you remember back to our, our history lessons that I love to do? So World War II, or I'm sorry, McCain. Let's go McCain. And then the songbird with Jane Fonda. 
is there a tr- is there a truth into that the Hanau Hotel or is that like because I read a couple of different books on that I mean well what are your thoughts on that so when John McCain was shot down he was a pilot in the Navy um, and he was taken to a uh, a prison that was derisively called the Hanoi Hilton and not the Hanau Hilton like you just <laughs> yeah but I'm from Ohio so I'm a little bit trashy right so the hill in the hotel you know motel it was the Hanoi Hilton and he was there for five years. And so um, <clears throat> that's where a lot of the more senior officers were kept. He was not really all that senior as an officer at the time, but certainly the fact that his father was the commander of Pacific forces made a huge difference to, to the, um, to the Vietnamese, the North Vietnamese that held him. And um, he did get opportunities to be let out early um, and, and he refused as long as his fellow people in, in the prison with him, fellow POWs were being held. And that's, um, I, I, that speaks to his character in that, as it relates to that. So, um, you know, I, you're not going to hear me say bad things about John McCain because, and I met him several times in, in Iraq, he and Lindsey Graham came together very often. And I talked to him at great length and I talked to Lindsey Graham at much more length and they were very supportive of operations. So. Um, I appreciate that. Cause I just remember reading that book and thinking like um, the, I, I think I remember him being beaten because the song where, where did the song were play into that? What was I? Um, she was, she was talking, she was speaking and then he got beaten because she put a note in his hand and it was found. And so he was beaten because of Jane Fonda. Well, I don't think that was him, but. Uh, okay. But somebody in relation to that. Her a note. Someone gave her a note. As the story goes that someone gave her a note and then she told the North Vietnamese captors about, about it. So I don't know that that's true. Yeah, and then in relation to that, they they tied up an American soldier and put a cone around his head and had rats eat him out, his head out, tied around a tree, and his screams could be heard through the jungles that day. So Jane found that you're a real asshole. I read that book. (laughs) No, I'm serious. Okay, all right. We we digress. We digress down my rabbit hole. I want to thank you for coming on today, and I want to thank you for schooling me out on Point to Hawk. Yeah. Um, I, I want to thank you just, just for the fun in general. And I, and, but seriously, I want to thank you about Lieutenant Colonel Schaller because I do agree that you have the same mission. Um, so I just, final thoughts before we close. Yeah. yeah final thoughts is that I just want to say that in the case of Lieutenant Colonel Scheller, it, it's more complicated than it, there's not a lot of, lot of black and white here. There are multiple issues at once. What he said, um, even though it could have, it was likely a lot of it was correct. The fact that he was saying it while he was on active duty and the way he did it, um, you know, that's going to lead to another outcome, not so favorable to him, but um, all of those things should be considered very complex. And it was talking about a set of complex operations. So none of this is easy. There's lots of nuance and um, and it, it's useful for us to know that when we think about w- what's happening and why. All right, I think that's a wrap. And so I want to thank everyone for listening. And I want to thank you, uh, James, for coming on and, and discussing uh, Lieutenant Colonel Scheller. So thank you. 
You're welcome. Thank you. Bye.